It is uh, so good for a bear. Yeah, you with us? Wonderful gift of music that helps to knit us all together and provide a, a structure that occurs and uplifts our worship. Thank you so much. And to Heidi, a wonderful ministry to us um, in words spoken so clearly and eloquently and given us a, a wonderful vision of the life and meaning of Reverend King that calls us to a deeply transformed and radical understanding of the gospel. And to Sherry, who keeps working uh, day by day, week by week, uh, to keep us going. Um, if you're not able to uh, hear, send me a uh, little comment on Facebook Live now so I can see that and see if I can modulate my voice. This morning, two uh, passages from Scripture. First, from Paul's letter to the Philippians in the second chapter, and then, uh, secondly, from the 21st chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. In January of 1986, the Reverend Richard L. Rush, a pastor emeritus of our church, and with whom I worked uh, for 14, 13 years from 1984 to 1987, we're preparing to uh, preach a dialogue sermon on the third Sunday in January, in which we hope to articulate our vision uh, for the life of First Church going on into the future. And we decided uh, to preach on the idea of being a servant church. So we selected uh, to read this passage from uh, Philippians 2 and had decided that it wanted to make the point in the middle of the scripture reading about the importance of what the Apostle Paul was saying, that I would interrupt Dick as he was reading the passage. And so as he was reading Philippians 2, I was sitting right here, and I said, oh, wait, 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 uh, hold on just a minute. Well, what was that when you said? Read that again. Now, Robbie Hauser was sitting right over there, and he's looking at me and going, No, 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 don't, don't interrupt him. Well, we've also got people's attention. Um, but don't get any ideas over there, you know, in the corner. But for Philippians 2, this incredible uh, passage in which Paul quotes an ancient hymn of the church that predates uh, Paul's own preaching. It sometimes uh, refers to, sometimes referred to as the canonic Christ, kenosis, uh, from the Greek to empty oneself, um, and you'll see why it has that appellation. Paul writes, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy make my joy complete. So he begins with what is essentially a rhetorical question, if these things exist. So let's read it again, this time not as a rhetorical question, but as in the indicative. The is laying on what is, and from there we'll talk about Therefore, what we ought to be. 
In Christ, there is encouragement, consolation from love, sharing in the spirit, compassion and sympathy. Therefore, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or deceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others, the interests of the community. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him in giving him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So was that that particular turn of phrase, Christ who did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, that I have the temerity to interrupt Dick. But really, not to interrupt Dick, but to interrupt each of us, who can so easily sit back and let slide beyond our comprehension the deep and poignant, powerful meaning of these ideas. Humility. In the ancient world, in the Roman Empire, the eastern end of the Mediterranean, literature and educational texts were full of all kinds of lists of vices and virtues. It was a early version of the self-help books with which our bookstores are so replete. And in the list of vices and virtues, humility almost always showed up. What's remarkable to us today is that humility always showed up 
on the list of vices, of weaknesses. To be weak was to, to be humble was to be weak. Humility was not a virtue, an attribute to be valued, but rather to be avoided. The ministry of Christ, of course, and the preaching of Paul has helped to shape in very large measure at least the aspiration that we espouse that the list of virtues would contain humility. This idea contained within the experience of Christianity, and most particularly that the power of Christ is entailed in his defeat, in the betrayal and the denial and the crucifixion of Jesus is the root of his power. Rather than standing up and striking back, rather than mounting an offensive to overturn the Roman rule, rather than confronting in a violent and aggressive way the forces that held the people down to enter fully into the suffering of the people, not to deny it, but to experience it fully, and in so doing to transform our own experience in knowing that when these things come upon us, we do not bear them by ourselves, but rather that God is with us and for us. God is in this experience, that we should never place a period of God as place of karma, that in time the will of God will be accomplished, that we are not alone, but are called to live with the same kind of humility and patience and understanding of the mind of Christ. If we're honest, of course, there's not much in our life today which truly supports this idea. Even within the church, it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of the assertion of our will and particularly what we believe should happen and not listening carefully, compassionately, with a divine sense of patience to each other. To speak the truth, honestly, in love, but to recognize that the needs of the community supersede the individual interests of one or another of us. It is in the emptying of Christ's self in the cross that we find the fulfillment of God's purpose. That God, rather than asserting God's right and power and privilege, steps back and allows us to live our lives and to carry on in a way that through Jesus we might find a truly compassionate, loving, humble way of being. In the 21st chapter of Matthew, in the days immediately following his triumphant, we thought, entering into Jerusalem at Palm Sunday, Jesus then returned to the temple in the following day to continue his teaching. And at verse 23, we find, when Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching, to ask him a question. By what authority, 
Are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? This is a pretty standard question in these kinds of fluid situations. As people assert new ideas, we have to want to ask them to know by what authority one of the other of these things are asserted. What is your source? Who gives you the right to say such radical and pronounce such seemingly dangerous ideas? By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus replied to them, Well, I also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of Jesus, of John rather, his cousin who baptized him, did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? Let me just pause there. Sometimes it's easy for us to think it would be wonderful if Jesus could come again, and we could simply be engaged in dialogue with him. But in fact, if you look at the Gospels, by and large, Jesus is a difficult conversation partner. He asks tough questions. He points out uncomfortable facts about ourselves and about how we are living. His parables are sometimes inscrutable, and other times such a false statement of what is self-evidently true that it catches up short. So if you answer my questions, then I will answer yours. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And so the chief priests and the elders argued amongst themselves. They said, well, if we say it's from heaven, then he will say to us, well, then why did you not believe John? Because, in fact, the chief priests and the elders were opposed to John's preaching. But if we say John's preaching was of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, uh, but they all regard John as a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, oh, we do not know. And so he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. It's a great rhetorical term. The authority of John, of course, in his baptism. Preaching the coming of one whose sandals he would be unfit to tie, fulfilled in the life and ministry of his cousin Jesus. The same authority that is sent by God for God's purposes in the world. And so then Jesus continued, Well, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. The son replied, I will not. But later changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And this son answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Then Jesus asked, Which of the two did the will of his father? The chief 
phrase to me always replied, the first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. But John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed John's preaching. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, to change your mind, to adopt a position of humility, to find in the emptying of oneself, as to say, to set aside one's own pre-existing conceptions and biases and prejudices, rather than stepping up and speaking out to argue and to establish your point, to step back and to listen, to adopt a position of quiet acceptance and of a humility that is responsive not to the will and the whim and the well-spoken word of our contemporaries, but rather that is responsive to the word that God has placed upon our heart. God's vision of justice and of peace, God's care for the least among us, God's preference for the poor, God's orientation of hope and strength for the dispossessed. Christ came and lived among us, conquering sin and death, reconciling the whole world to himself, calling us into the church to accept the cost and the joy of discipleship. A humble band of disciples who follow one whose life was lived in a singular obedience and orientation, devotion, allegiance, fulfillment of the will and purposes of God for the world. In the emptying of Christ's self comes the fulfillment of God's purpose. And so may we, as we adopt that same mind and consciousness and open ourselves to the abiding presence of the God who is calling us even still, that we may fulfill in our emptying God's purposes in the world. Amen.